Well, the Rockets coming off a win with a stirring comeback from down 23 to beat the Washington Wizards. I'm Jonathan Fagan on the Texas Sports Nation podcast. Danielle Lerner could not be with us this week, so I will be talking to myself. Uh, Hopefully I won't get into too many arguments, but I think we'll get through it okay. The Rockets have given us some things to talk about. Uh, I guess I have to start with Sunday's win. It's broke a five-game winning streak, their first win in the second half of a back-to-back this season. Uh, They'd lost their first 11 games when playing on consecutive nights in the second of those games. Eric Gordon came back. And Christian Wood had the game of his life. So just a whole lot of things there as they head to Dallas for the start of a three-game road trip. Now, they have not won on the road since January 19th. Uh, That was at Utah. They shocked the Utah Jazz January 19th. And that's the last time the Rockets have had a winning streak. So tonight against the Dallas Mavericks, or at least some of the Mavericks, they will try and have a two-game winning streak. Uh, no Luka Doncic for the Mavericks tonight. And that makes it, this, this is unreal, but five of the last six Rockets opponents have been missing at least two starters. And the one that was missing only one starter was missing Ja Morant. I, I guess it's, it's that time of year where Teams have guys sitting out. People are banged up. You don't force guys when you're on a contending team like the Mavericks or the, or the Grizzlies. You don't force guys to play when they're real sore, or you don't even allow them to play when they're real sore. They're beaten up a little bit because you want them at their best next month, not this month. And so they sit out. But I can't help but wonder if that's a little bit, if they look at the record of the team that's last in the NBA and say, you know what, Luca, we got this one. <laughs> Take a night off. And that has worked for everybody, except for the Washington Wizards, a team that is not a contending team. But they, they're, of course, were missing Bradley Beal, as they have been most of the year. Uh, they, they, Kyle Kuzma was sitting out, and they could not hit threes. They, the Wizards were last in the NBA in threes per game. The second half, especially, the Rockets, they switched everything protected the lane, and say, you guys go ahead, shoot, (laughs) take that open shot. You're not going to make it. And they were right. That said, it was a good comeback because of they played really hard. They defended. They had some help, I understand, but they did defend. And then Christian Wood just came up huge. Uh, One more thing about the comeback, though, before I'll talk about Christian Wood, is it would be easy, and Stephen Silas pointed this out, it would be easy for a team with their record at this time of the year to get down 23 and say, all right, that's enough, let's get out of here, or I'll just go get my numbers. And they did not play that way. They played harder, which is what we've been calling for all year, what we called for in the previous game. When things go badly, that's not when you sort of – fall apart and say, ah, this isn't working and what's wrong and gets frustrated. That's absolutely what we saw against the Grizzlies. This time, now maybe it's because they're playing the Wizards, but they really did battle back. Christian Wood's night turned it into a blowout. I mean, Rockets went from down 23 to up 20. Uh, 
Christian Wood was phenomenal. And, you know, you can say, all right, it's one game. Obviously, he's not hitting eight of nine threes in every game. But it, it was interesting that he had that game at a time that he has been emphasizing trying to move the ball better, which I think is pretty clear something he can do that he needs to do is be more of a ball mover. Don't hold it and think about options and jab step and look for all the different things that maybe you can do. If it's not there, move it. You'll get it back. And he did that in that game. And then he still got his shots. And he's been doing that. The crazy thing is, in March, he's been averaging like five shots. Uh, He's averaging 12 shots a game but only 5.6 threes a game in March. Christian Wood's been shooting 61.5%, 52% on threes. That's just phenomenal. Uh, in March, uh, the way he's, he's averaging 22.2 points per game while shooting less. So yeah, he went wild. He had 39 points. He hit that last three from 33 feet with Rui Hachimura all over him. But he has been going very well. Uh, he's in March. This guy who's been terrible shooting free throws most of the year, he's making 74% of his free throws. So he has been much better, and it culminated in that game. But that kind of brings us to what we saw the previous game against Memphis. And I bet you might have thought I was going to forget that. I thought I might have forgotten that. Against Memphis... It was just really bad to the point that Stephen Silas benched Christian Wood and Kevin Porter Jr. roughly three minutes into the second half. Uh, Christian Wood played another minute or so because he was at the line when Alpern Shingun was at the table to come in for him. But three minutes into the second half, Silas had Schroeder and he had Shingun at the scorer's table to check in for his point guard and his center. And that goes to the Rockets' tendency, and I think it was different for each guy, but the tendency when things go badly to just shrug their shoulders and nothing we can do tonight, it's not our night. I think they were a little different. I think Christian Wood, that game, I don't think he wanted any part of Steven Adams. He just stayed completely on the perimeter, trusted his three-point shot. His previous game against Steven Adams and the Grizzlies was the game Steven Silas said was the best he has ever seen Christian Wood play on both ends of the court. He shot threes very well, but he was five of eight in the lane in that game. He attacked Adams on Sunday, not at all. And there just wasn't a whole lot of energy and intensity defensively. That's going to happen. It's about how you respond to that. And he did respond. On Kevin Porter Jr., where... There were times against the Grizzlies where he was taking shots with little chance to go in, missing them, and then stopping. Didn't play at all. Just stopped while everybody went the other way and the Grizzlies finished a fast break dunk. You cannot do that. That cannot happen. I did ask Silas about it. And he said, oh yeah, we went over the video. We showed it. We talked about it. The thing about Kevin Porter Jr., and I think a lot of people don't get this, there's this image of him as this angry young man, 
flying off the handle all the time because of the incident in Cleveland. That was the last straw with the Cavaliers leading to the trade to the Rockets. And because of the incident on New Year's Day against the Nuggets, when he, he blew up at the halftime locker room and left the game, left the building during the third quarter, where he totally lost it to where the Rockets thought, no, no, you can't play tonight. You're not coming back. He does have a temper problem, but he's not this angry guy that people believe he is because of those incidents. Not at all. He's actually the guy who's sort of the most courteous and respectful to staffers, not just assistant coaches or head coach who can impact his career, but just anybody around the building. He's a a good guy to be around, well-liked, but he does not handle the adversity well. It is something he's working on and knows about himself, which is a good thing. A lot of young guys who've had success and they're making a million dollars or several million, you know, they, they kind of find ways to blame others. He does not do that, but it's an ongoing issue. Stopping playing the way he did against the Grizzlies is a version of the tantrum that happened in Cleveland or that happened on New Year's Day. It's how do you handle things when things go badly? That's what he has to overcome. And the Rockets knew that. They they don't deny it. It's how they got him. They're going to keep on working at it and see if he can make progress. In a lot of ways, I think he has made progress. But that game against the Grizzlies was an example of falling back on that, where just almost surrendering to circumstances, which he did not do the next night. Remember, things went really badly the next night, down 23. So maybe that's a sign of making progress, just as Christian Wood being more aggressive the very next night was a sign of making progress, just as defending from to come back from down 23 was. And that's a good point, Jonathan. I, I was going to do that throughout the whole podcast and just say, what do you think, Jonathan? And just agree with myself. But I decided, eh, just do it once. Otherwise, that would be when people figure they've heard enough. But uh, him doing that, still, the next decision has to become, is he the point guard of the future? Is he a point guard? I talked to him about that. I talked to Kevin Porter Jr. and to Stephen Salas about that on the weekend. Uh, is he a point guard? Well, the definition of a point guard has changed so much. He, he's never going to be Chris Paul. That's not his way of playing the position, but a lot of guys don't play the position that way. John Morant, who was in the building the next day, uh, after that, and we, we did talk a little bit about the way Ja does it. That's not the old traditional point guard style either. Kevin Porter Jr., is he sort of sets up his passes with the threats of his scoring. He can be a scorer. Can he be a point guard? Well, as we were sort of defining what the position is these days, the thing that I think we left out, and Steven Silas says a point guard is a guy who makes everybody better. Now, how he does that varies from the traditional ways or the Chris Paul way or some of that, but that's what it's about. The thing I think we left out is it, it's about being a leader, And that's where I think Kevin Porter Jr. has to grow to where, okay, you're not going to be the playmaker first guy. We get that. And a lot of point guards, successful point guards are not that. But you're going to lead in one way or another. The way he played against the Grizzlies, where he stopped playing on several occasions, where he got frustrated with no calls or his own missed shots or whatever... 
that's leading your team in the wrong direction. That's when you have to show, no, nothing is going to stop me. Nothing is going to take away from my intensity for this game. And he did not do that that day. But that's where I think he has to grow to be the point guard. Watching the Rockets, when they have a slightly more traditional point guard, Dennis Schroeder is also not Chris Paul, although he learned from Chris Paul in his year with him in Oklahoma City, and he has modeled some of his leadership on what he saw from Chris Paul that year. But he can do the point guard things, and he does do them with the Rockets. You see what a benefit that is to have someone running the offense who runs an offense rather than looks to score and and lead the offense that way. He runs it. It sort of makes you wonder if that's what the Rockets will need in the future. And will Kevin Porter Jr. benefit in his own way too, where, hey, you can come in and sometimes be at the point, sometimes be at the two. Look to score. That's what you do. Would he be a good sixth man? Could he be there, Jordan Clarkson, you know, Lou Williams? Uh, there's been a tradition. Can he be that guy? Jamal Crawford, his, I don't know if I want to say mentor, but a little bit of a mentor, certainly a role model from Seattle, who just announced his retirement, uh, sort of ending the career of one of the all-time great guys. Can he be that guy? Come in and be instant offense, Kevin Porter Jr., rather than try to be the point guard. Now, in his mind, no, I'm going to be the point guard. That's my goal. And the Rockets are going to give him every chance to grow into that. He is in his third year. So even though it was a very abbreviated first couple years, he is in his third year. So he knows something of the league and playing in the league, but it's his first full season as a point guard. Will we see strides next season from Kevin Porter Jr. as the point? But if not, I think that's an option, and it is something the Rockets need to decide. My general thought is, if you want to give it another look for one more year, you do need to bring in a guy who is a real point. And maybe that you bring back Dennis Schroeder. That is a tough thing to do. They don't have any bird rights for him. so And they, they sure don't have cap space. So do they use their mid-level exception? Do they use a part of it? Does he come back for just a part of it? But whether it's him or someone else, I could see doing it if you have a point guard who's the real thing, run the offense point guard, and you have a fallback position if you decide, look, we're trying to make Kevin Porter Jr. point, but he's best served to be a two. And then that brings up the other question. The most important guy on the on the roster is a two guard. It's Jalen Green, and he is absolutely justifying taking him with the second pick of the draft. He's played so well since the start of February, and he's continued to grow in a lot of ways. But that he's a two, right? He's not a point. He's not a, a forward. That's his position. Ideally, that's Josh Christopher's position. Ideally, maybe that's Kevin Porter Jr.'s position. How many guys do you need who are best served playing the one same position, especially in a positionless era of the NBA? So that's something else the Rockets would probably have to weigh as – they make decisions that will come in the in the offseason, maybe even in the draft. Are they at the stage in the draft where they have to think of their own roster rather than just get the most talent you can, the guys with the best chance? 
of panning out or maybe even best chance of stardom, which is what they've been doing. And if you're picking in the top five, that's certainly what they would do with the first pick. You know, just a, another word or two of Jalen Green, because this is the Texas Sports Nation Rockets podcast. And so by law, we must talk about Jalen Green's development, which, by the way, this has been suggested to me that if you want a good Rockets drinking game, and if you're a Rockets fans and you're watching the Rockets, you might need to drink. Every time an announcer says, Jalen Green is figuring it out, take a drink. It's a good drinking game, but you might want to use an eyedropper. Otherwise, you'll be smashed from how many times that gets said. Hey, that's not just about announcers being repetitive, because believe me, I cover this team. I write about them every single day. It is hard not to be repetitive. It's also about how Jalen Green has continued to grow. You know, he against Memphis, he didn't get his double figures. He had scored in double figures in 22 straight games. The first time a, a Rockets rookie had done that since Steve Francis scored in double figures in the last 25 games of his rookie season. And so he had seven. He didn't play a lot down the stretch because it was a blowout. He came back the next night, had 17, good number, but he, he's been in the 20s quite a bit, but with six rebounds, five assists, and plus 28. The Rockets outscored the Wizards by 28 when Jalen Green was on the floor, the best plus minus of his career, of his rookie season. And, you know, one game plus minuses, they can be misleading. You should never go too much from that. But I think if you watch that game, a lot of it also spoke to his defense, which has improved a great deal. Some of the things he does to get through the screens that he was not doing earlier in the year, part of that is from recognizing the screens will be there. He's just a much better defensive player, which, of course, he did have a ton of room to grow. But he's become a much better defensive player. And he's becoming a little more well-rounded. You're starting to see him be more competitive on the boards, uh, looking to, to create off the dribble for others. Uh, two of the last three games, he's had five rebounds and five assists. Uh, since the start of February, Green has made 38% of his threes. So the shot that was kind of messed up and missing in January has come along for a longer stretch, a good sample size. So there is, there's a lot of things people can be excited about with him, which does conclude our mandatory Jalen Green segment. But it also brings us to, they got him with the second pick of the draft after last season and their worst record in the NBA and, and the draft lottery, they ended up second. And that was a, a triumph for them, not only because they loved Jalen Green, but because of the threat of losing the pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder. If it fell out of the top four, the Thunder would have grabbed it and Rockets would have been picking 18th. Now, they don't have that threat this year. But I know people want, when they lose a game, I mean, win a game, when the Rockets win, I know there's a reaction. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't win. I, I, we've talked about this before, but I don't get that. If, if First of all, how you root does not really impact what happens in the game. But if you want to think it does, just root for the Rockets and root for the Pistons and root for the Magic and root for the Thunder. And the Rockets will still have the best lottery odds, no matter what, they, if they win. You know, they could beat... Maybe they beat the Mavericks on the road tonight. 
Then they go for two games at Portland, a team that seems very determined to lose. They have two games against Sacramento. Right now, Sacramento has the fifth worst record in the league. Now, they're not that close to the top four. Uh, They're six and a half games better than the Rockets to get all the way up to the worst record or down to the worst record. But still, Sacramento is capable of losing, especially on the road. But it doesn't necessarily hurt the Rockets' chances because the other teams down there with them, they're winning too. Uh, Maybe not the the Pistons lost their last couple, but Orlando won its last two games. Also, if it makes you feel any better, the top three teams in the lottery, the bottom three teams in the standings, the chances of a top four pick are all the same, 52.1%. The chance for the number one pick are all the same of those bottom three teams, 14%. Now, you could fall further if you're, say, third or fourth. You can fall to the sixth or seventh pick. The other part of that, though, is, and obviously the Rockets don't want that. They'd love to pick early. It would be fascinating to see who, if they had the first pick, who would they choose? The tournament has been really interesting for that, and and we're going to wrap it with that. Going to the draft considerations, uh, it would be really interesting to see what they would do with the choices at the top. But if they're not at the top, is it possible that Benedict Mathurin would be worth grabbing at seven if they fell all the way or six? If they fell all the way to that, all the, all the way to there, I mean, my gosh, that like guy looked good. Uh, you should never, and we'll talk about this more in a second. But you don't overreact to one tournament game, good or bad. But man, the guy looked like a pretty good pick. If you got if if that's your consolation prize, and there's other ones, there's other guys who will be that way. Where hey, if you fall. And you you end up with Keegan Murray, Johnny Davis, two guys who got out of the tournament too soon. You know, that might be all right. Jalen Duran, very interesting, very, very interesting game against Chet Holmgren. And that goes back to what I was saying before. It's hard not to overreact to a tournament game. How do you react to Holmgren versus Duran? Where they, Memphis was going at, Holmgren, the 7-1 swizzle stick of a center with all kinds of skills and competitive fire, the probable first pick of the draft. They were going at him, and he swatted Duran shots early. As the game went on, though, it looked like Duran bullied him a little bit, and Holmgren had trouble sort of asserting himself offensively. In the NBA, is he going to be just, you know, shoot threes as a trailer? Is he going to be the Mavericks Porzingis to where, hey, you just space the floor for us. You you take your seven foot four miss and space the floor. I don't think that's what you want from the first pick of the draft. First pick of the draft, you'd kind of like a guy, hey, your team is losing. The number one team in the country is losing to Memphis. I'm going to take over. It was Drew Timmy who took over. And so does that give you pause uh, on Chet Holmgren? Or is that, hey, that's one game. On the subject of one game, how do you react to Jabari Smith, whose best thing, he looks like he will be an elite shooter. And then he goes out in the game Auburn loses. Auburn, who spent a good chunk of the year number one in the country, and he goes three of 16. He had a couple shots blocked. 
Do you react to that? Or do you say, hey, hit four of seven threes in the previous game? You know, that's, that's just fine. I, I tend to think it's the, I, I think that shot is, is wonderful. I think he's going to be an elite NBA shooter. He's got other skills. Being able to defend on the perimeter, and he could be very, very good at that. I think that makes him a special prospect. Definitely he or Holmgren go one or two. And I tell you what, I have real concerns about Holmgren living up to all the potential. He has a lot of potential as a rim protector. Does he become somebody's Rudy Gobert? But there's questions as well. I mean, it wasn't like Rudy Gobert was taken with the first pick. Jabari Smith, if he doesn't go one, he goes two in my mind. But I've been saying it all along. I, I don't understand some of the knocks on Paolo Bancaro to where, okay, maybe it doesn't feel like his ceiling is as high, but he does a lot of things really well. The one question, and he looked terrific on the weekend for Duke. That was the best player on a team taking over, which he did. He led them to the win against Michigan State. Again, try not to overreact to one game, but, you know, you can't help but be influenced, you know, he doesn't look it, he doesn't play it, but he is a 19-year-old freshman. I think the one thing you do wonder is, does his defensive intensity, is that an issue? How will that translate? I tell you, the, there's some good guys at the top of the draft. There's some very good ones through the top 10. It it's, might not be the end of the world if the Rockets don't pick at the top picks, though certainly they really want to. And, and you know, the guys who become all NBA, the guys who become MVP candidates. Yeah, there's a few out there. Obviously, there's Giannis, there's Jokic. It's happened. But more often, it's the top guys. It's something else to consider as the tournament goes on is, hey, you can't help but look at Holmgren and Bancaro, Jaden Ivey, which does go back to the question earlier about do the Rockets start considering how they build their team? How many two guards do you need? But Jaden Ivey sure looked really, really good for Purdue. It can't help but look at these guys and try and picture them on the Rockets roster. Uh, hey, and that might be more enjoyable than watching some of the Rocket games to come, even if you do play the Jalen Green is figuring it out drinking game. If you do, try and be responsible. Don't drink and drive after the game. But... Hey, it could be a way to get through these last weeks of the season while waiting for next Tuesday's, hopefully we'll be back on Tuesday of next week, podcast. Hoping that Daniel Lerner can be back with us again next week, but thank you for being with us this week on the Texas Sports Nation podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcast. This has been Jonathan Fagan. Thanks again for being with us. We'll talk to you again next week.